absolutely correct that there is an incredible uh, uh, speed that kind of takes place when summer comes. I don't know if it felt like summer to you this week. Uh, I think Memorial Day on, it has been something, I think, with the weather, with the activities. Uh, We had uh, a bunch of people over our house on Memorial Day. I think at some point there was like 90-something people at our house. And uh, it was like a human stew in our pool. It was just kind of gross afterward. You just want to drain the pool and kind of move on. Uh, If there's ever a holiday and you don't have anywhere to go, you can jump in the pool as well. So come over. Everyone's invited and no one's invited. That's what we say. So uh, the house is open. Come on over. Uh, But uh, I realize like from Memorial Day to Labor Day, there's about 100 days and so I, I kind of decided, uh, I don't, this is my, the 500 days of summer, but my 100 days of summer, I was going to every day kind of experience, like, I want to do something summery if I could. So I, I've been barbecuing or going out for ice cream or sitting by the pool or doing something all week. And, it, and it's been great. Even this morning when I walked up, uh, one of our first hour folks was sitting out on the patio, uh, one of the most positive people here in our church named Connie, and she's, she looked at me like with victory. She's like, it feels like summer, and she just like raised her fists in the air, and, and you can feel that, right? I mean, there's something great about it, and, and Matt's right. Like, it is going to get crazy here. Uh, I, even looking at this next week, uh, we have our outreach workshop on Tuesday night, which we're really excited about. We, we, uh, following up last uh, series that we did, a chance to, to do some training with you. Wednesday night is the Rockies, okay, which gets a little crazy in here as well. Next week, uh, we have a, a big event for our Celebrate Recovery, a concert and testimony. And you, you look inside the bulletin and then you see we have the Capernaum Prom, we have a mission trip, and we're just getting started, uh, not to mention all the camps, all the other things. I mean, it, it moves really, really quick. One of the things that we're going to do in the summer is uh, uh, we realize that uh, for a lot of folks, there's just this sense of how important it is to know that God is with us, especially when we're in these difficult times. There are, t- there are seasons in our life where we're just we're going through a difficult time, and just trying to understand what God is doing in the midst of that can be really challenging. And so we're going to be doing that in the summer. But to really to, to set that up well, um, we, we want to spend a couple weeks together, uh, these next few weeks, kind of laying some foundation because if you, you can embrace some of the things that we're going to talk about today, they are so huge. It will, it will really set your heart up to be able to say, when you see these stories in God's story, you will be able to say with confidence, I believe this to be true. Uh, and so to do that, we really need to set some foundation. So we're doing a series called uh, Beloved, and we're, we're, we want you to understand a little bit about your identity. And, and part of this is, as we've been sharing uh, this morning a little bit, there are so many voices in our life that are trying to shape our identity. Uh, uh, think about it. When, you, when you're a little kid and you're growing up, uh, do you remember being asked this, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I don't know how you answered it. You know, some of us answered, I want to be an astronaut, right? And you, you thought about exploring space and wearing spacesuits and all the other things. Uh, uh, some of you got to do the field trip to the firehouse, and so you were going to be a firefighter, right? And you were going to climb ladders and slide down poles and rescue cats out of trees and, and all the other stuff that firefighters do, uh, the important stuff. And, and uh, some of you wanted to be a pro whatever it was, a singer, a dancer, an athlete, uh, uh, whatever. And so you, you, we thought about all this. And then what happens is you, as you grow up, you realize that, well, these are career choices, but they don't really define who I am. These are things I do, but I don't know if I want my identity to be tied into what I do. I just 
this is what I like to do or this is what I do. Because some of you are thinking, well, I wound up being a, a middle manager turning in TPS reports. And I, I mean, that's just not what I want to do. That's not who I am with my life. It's what I do as my job. And so we start realizing that what we do and, and who we are aren't, aren't answering the same question. I worked with uh, young uh, people for a long time, adolescents, and thinking about adolescent development. And one of the things that was so interesting was this idea that the, at the end of adolescence, it's what's called individuation. Like the, the final task of adolescence is identity formation. It's this task, individuation, where you become your own person. And so uh, the, the goal is at some point that you guys would be able to say, apart from your parents, apart from friends, this is who I am. Well, here's the bad news for all of you who are working your way through this, speaking for all the rest of us who are not adolescents anymore. Uh, you discover after a while that uh, you're still trying to figure that out. What you think you are at 19, then you turn 29, 39, 49, and you're still like, who am I? Like, I'm still trying to feel this peace about who I am. And so it's, it's a very, very challenging experience. Uh, identity formation is a long, 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 windy road. It, it, is, it is challenging in all its ways. And, and so that's why it's so important for us to think about this, because with all these voices and all this influence in our life, uh, I want you to ask yourself this. What, what does God want to say? How are you letting God speak into that? Uh, how is God one of those voices? How is his voice uh, having prominence over all of those other voices uh, that you are experiencing. And so uh, we're going to spend these next couple of weeks thinking about this. And this is really key. And so today, uh, I, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. So he, here's the key questions that you're wrestling with, whether you know it or not. You're asking the question, who am I? It's a question about identity. Uh, you're thinking about this idea of where do I fit? It's about belonging. In fact, think about this. How often, even when you step on this campus, what, what's, your heart is racing because you're looking for relational safety. You're, you, you want a place to fit in. You want that, and we want that for you as well. That's why we talk about we, wanna, we want you to move from uh, rows to a circle. And some, some point in your journey here, we want you to find a group of people that you really feel like you belong with. What difference do I make? In fact, a lot of us will work really, really, really hard working towards success for, in our lives only to discover that really there's a longing deeper than success that is about significance. You want your life to matter. And so these are things that we will wrestle with through life. And so we want to think about, well, what does God say about these things? How does he speak into this? So I want to give you a big idea that I think is really important uh, to begin our series. And I want to show it to you through an experience that Jesus had uh, himself. But God's beloved don't have to prove themselves. This is the the, kind of the intro big idea that I want you to see uh, today that we're going to look at. I'm going to show you one of the experiences of Jesus' early life, but I want you to see that what is true, we see both of Jesus is true of us, that God's beloved, uh, those he deeply loves, they don't have to prove themselves. And I think this is an incredible uh, message for us. Living here in Orange County, don't we feel this? Every single day, we feel the pressure to perform, the pressure to prove ourselves. And so today, I want to I challenge you with that, to say, look, as God's beloved, you don't have to perform. You don't have to prove yourself to God to be accepted and loved by him. And when you ground and root yourself in this, this identity, you can tackle all the other voices in a totally different way. 
So let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at a story, a, a, an early story. Now, it's interesting, this story that we're going to look at is very early in the life of Jesus, uh, found on page 967 of the Bibles in front of you. In fact, the only thing that Matthew has really told us to this point about Jesus' life is that he's sweet baby Jesus, six pound, eight ounces. He's, uh, you know, it's the birth story. It's the, it's the baby stories. And then it just goes silent from about two years till about 30. And so Matthew doesn't tell us anything about what happens in this meantime. But in this time, it, it, was a, it was a very ripe time for Jesus to explode back onto the scene because in this moment, uh, for 400 years, there had been silence. There was no pro- prophetic voice. There was just uh, this sense if, in Israel that where is God? Where is God's voice? Where is his presence? And now to make matters even worse, Rome has come in. They have conquered them. They are imposing their will upon the, the Jewish people. And so it is a very dark and desperate time. But there's this seed of revival that is brewing and the people feel it. There's a man, he's out in the desert. His name is John. And John is calling people to turn their lives back to God, that God is about to do something special. But, to, but for him to do something special, you will miss it if you do not turn your heart back to God. And he's, he's doing something that has never been done uh, uh, in the Jewish faith. He is baptizing them. So up to this point, if you were a convert into uh, uh, the Jewish faith, if you were a Gentile becoming a, a convert, converting over, you would you would uh, baptize yourself. But for the first time, uh, Jews are being baptized. Someone else is baptized. And there's this powerful work. Everyone is coming, flooding out to the desert to this. There's this expectation. And then John says this, because people start to expect this. They start thinking, well, maybe he's the one. Maybe you're the one that, that we've been waiting for that's going to lead us, lead, lead our people out of this, this turmoil. And John says, no, 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 it's not me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just, my job is to get you ready. But let me tell you this. There is someone coming. Oh, and when he comes, he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the spirit and with fire. And he's got his, his, his winnowing fork in his hand. And he's going to separate uh, uh, the wheat from the chaff. And, 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 and he's going to clean the barn. And, and this great movement of God is going to come. And so you can imagine if you're hearing these things, you're kind of waiting for this guy on this white horse to come in off the desert and, and this army behind him. And finally, our day of reckoning has come. Or, or maybe someone will, will come up out of a palace and there will be this great royal figure. And so it's quite surprising when here comes this humble man, Jesus comes. But right away, John knows he's the one. And Jesus comes to be baptized, to enter into this with, with everyone else. And John's first thought is, he, as he's explained to everyone, when this guy comes, look, I can't even untie his sandals. I, I don't, I'm not worthy of him. And he sees Jesus and he thinks, this is all wrong. I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus is doing something very, very special. Not only is he setting for us this model of, of repentance, of turning our hearts to God, of immersing our life in God's life. Uh, but Jesus, who, who doesn't need to repent, is, is simply coming alongside of us. He's identifying with his people. He's, coming, he's, he's not doing this from the top down. He's entered in with us. And so John relents and baptizes him. And so what I want you to watch, watch what happens when this happens, when he's baptized. But more importantly, listen to what happens next. 
Matthew 3, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he, he went up out of the water And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There's two things I want you to see from this passage that I think are very important, but you'll see how they're opposed from each other. The first thing, notice this. You are who the Father says you are. You are who the Father says you are. Immediately, as Jesus comes up out of the water, it's almost like there's this uh, family celebration. The the, the heavens open, the Spirit descends like a dove. Even the imagery of the dove is powerful to, to understand what God is doing. In fact, in some ways, what's happening in this moment is so surprising that even the prophet is kind of, has kind of missed what it is that God is doing. But this powerful moment, and in this powerful moment, this voice, this voice that says, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. There's two phrases here that are incredibly important. The first, this phrase, this is my beloved son. It it, it is uh, drawing the people back to this early psalm, Psalm 2. It it was a messianic psalm. It was a, a declaration, this is the one. Here's the one who's coming to to save the world. Here's the Messiah. Here's the one you've been waiting for. And it was this voice of affirmation. And then this phrase, the the one I'm well pleased, comes from Isaiah 42. This this process where the the prophet begins to speak of the suffering servant who's going to come, who's going to offer his life for our sake. And so there's this tremendous affirmation. It's like this family celebration almost a uh, how many of you are, do we have a few of you that are graduating uh, this year, middle school or high school? Any of you guys, how many graduates do we have? A couple? Okay. So I remember, I, I, don't, I don't know if Justin does this, but we used to go to all the graduations back in the day. No pressure, Justin, but uh, we would go to all the graduations and, uh, and we would do our best to get there on time. But one of the things I used to love the most because I'm a little shyer and a little quieter, but my, my buddy, I'll just say he owns a taco shop. I won't tell you who he is or use his name. But he, he was a little louder and more uh, rambunctious when it came to this. When one of his boys graduated, they would call out his name, uh, Matt Steele, and uh, you'd hear the polite clap of the parents, and then Burr! he had one of those air horns. And it just, and, but he, he didn't just go, Burr! where everyone just jolts like this. He'd go, I mean, so long that the, the, the people up front would be waiting and kind of looking for who's the guy with the bullhorn because they're waiting to call the next name. And in like 10, 12, like 10, 12 seconds of, of that air horn is really long, especially if you're sitting right next to this guy. And he would do it for each one of his boys. Now, the thing I loved about this was the, the celebration was not based on any kind of performance. It was purely out of love and joy. That's my boy. That's my boy. And he's celebrating. He's screaming. There's all kinds of noise. But it was just this celebration. And and I love that because you see it really almost in the same way. Just this beautiful picture of this celebration 
again, notice nothing. Jesus has done nothing to earn this praise and approval. This has nothing to do with performance. It has everything to do with proximity. It has everything to do with relationship. God is simply expressing this love because of who he is, of who they are together. It is all about this, this relationship that we, they, they have together. Now, you and I look at this and go, man, that is cool. But I would hope so, God the Father and God the Son, that there's this kind of relationship. What does that have to do with me? Well, here's the thing. As you hear these things being said about Jesus in this way, here's my son and whom I, I, my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. I, I, wanted, I want you to understand something, that in Jesus, when you come in repentance and faith, as you come through the waters of baptism, as you come to become a, a follower of Jesus, do you realize that you have become a child of God? Now, let me put a verse on the screen that I think is really helpful. Galatians 4, it says something quite, quite powerful about what this means. It says that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Through faith, you become adopted into God's family. You become a child of God. Now, you notice there's this phrase, you become a son. And, and, and this is very important because in that time, uh, uh, the son would get all the right and privileges. But notice what he's doing there. This is totally revolutionary of the time. What he's saying is, is uh, sons and daughters, you now all have this right of sonship. There are no longer any second-class citizens. You all receive this right. And if you receive the right of sonship, that meant that any debt that you owed, the father now took upon himself. Any liability you had, the father now took upon himself. But notice also what he says. He says, not just do I take your liability, your debt upon myself, but I make you an heir. All that I have is yours. I have uh, three adopted siblings and uh, I was uh, a lot older when, we, when they came into our home. And so it was very interesting to watch uh, the, the, the difficult home they had come from to come into our home. And at first, a little tentative. But the moment that they began to feel at peace in our home and realized they were part of the family, I, one of the things I, I remember, I remember just watching them ransack the cupboards. Uh, all of a sudden, there was all this food that was available to them and all this opportunity that was available to them. And just watching them come, come to life as they realized they were at home. Everything that was ours was theirs. You're an heir to all that he has. But notice, too, what it says. It says that you, when you become a child that there's something very special. There's this proximity of, of, of relationship that he fills your heart with his spirit. And the, so his presence and his power is always with you. But that spirit, his spirit that's in you, there's something in you that begins to cry out to God. Not that he's some distant being, but that he is Abba, Father. Abba, Ima. Those were uh, Aramaic terms. They were uh, terms of endearment. Often the first words a kid would speak. It means Abba, father, means daddy. I'm a mommy. It, it was, these were the first words. Notice what he's saying to you. You are no longer a slave. You are now in my family. 
all that I have is yours. Call me daddy. It is quite powerful. And so when, go back to this passage, and when you hear these words, when you hear these words spoken, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. These are the kinds of things that God says about us as his children. He says to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Do you know how pleased I am to have you? Now, as much as we want to hold that and embrace that and build our life on that, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there are other voices that want to speak into our life as well. In fact, here's what I want you to notice. Notice the second thing that happens here in this moment because uh, originally in the Bible, you don't have this breakdown of chapters and verses. It just kind of flows all together. But if you look at the next verse after this, you notice that right away that identity is challenged. And so here's the second thing I want us to see this morning. As we look at the passage, we see this is that the enemy wants to challenge your identity. The enemy will challenge your identity. And so it says that immediately the spirit led Jesus out into the the desert, into the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't eat anything. And so he became incredibly hungry. And looking for his perfect moment, the devil shows up to tempt him. But I want you to notice what it is that he says to him. Notice how he immediately, the last voice Jesus heard, according to Matthew, the last thing he's heard is, this is my beloved son. And then notice what the next voice he hears says to him. It says that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now think about this. The last voice he's heard says, said this to him, you are my beloved son. And the very next voice he hears is, you're the son of God, huh? Prove it. Prove it. In fact, he takes him through. The first thing he says is, look, you're hungry. He wouldn't want you to be hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Go out to the temple. Jump off the temple and prove to everyone that who you are. And there's this voice to prove and perform. And finally, he just gets kind of fed up. Don't give your loyalty to the Father. Give your loyalty to me. I'll give you everything. And all the while, we see Jesus fights him back, rooting himself in what he knows to be true, what God has said all along. But I want you to see something, that there are other voices, and this is what Jesus wasn't immune to it either, that there are other voices that will come immediately and challenge this voice that you are the beloved child of God. And those voices will say to you, Really? Prove it. Prove it. And you will feel this sense to to perform. I mean, don't we feel that? I I think of so many people uh, in this area who are just living with these other voices in their life. They're struggling with this sense of identity because of this sense of performance. I've talked to folks who uh, have experienced the pain of divorce. And they will say to me, uh, you know, before this, my identity was built into my marriage. I was a husband. I was a wife. But when that was ripped away from me, I didn't know who I was anymore. That's all I really knew. Or someone who uh, experiences the pain of being let go from their job. Uh, for, for years, some, for decades, they've given this great performance. They've, they've served their company well. And then one Friday at the end of workday, they are told, you are no longer needed here. 
It doesn't matter what your performance is. We've made decisions and you're not valuable enough to keep. And folks who feel like so much of who I am was built into what I did in my job. I don't know who I am right now. When I think about you guys, man, it is so competitive to be a student right now. And if you're going to go to college, I mean, the resumes that you guys are putting together of academics, I can't even count how high your grade point averages are. They're just like crazy, 4.74 or whatever it is. Uh, And then ASB and sports and performing arts and clubs and jobs and volunteers. and, And it just goes on and on. And the resumes are incredible. And then you have that pressure. And I hear people say all the time, I, I don't know if I want to apply to the school. I'll probably, they'll probably just say no. And he, you've built this incredible resume only to apply to your dream school to be told you're not good enough. And parents, you feel it too. You feel the pressure for your kids and you're trying to help them keep up and you're thinking, gosh, if I, we don't play on this team or if we don't get this help, if we don't do this thing, we're going to fall behind. And if we fall behind, you see this kind of, this kind of avalanche of pressure and and performance that's coming and you don't know what to do because you're in this tug of war of what's right and wrong. And some of this is just built into ourselves, right? It's our own perfectionism. It's just the voice we're competing with is the voice in our own head who speaks to our, we speak to ourselves in second person and tell ourselves, you're such an idiot. Why do you do these things? Why can't you be better? And we push and push and push ourselves to perform higher and higher and higher, to be better and better and better. And I simply want to tell you this. I, I, I think what we see here in this moment is something quite important, that any voice that demands that you, uh, you prove your identity is from the enemy. Any voice that demands that you prove your identity is from the enemy. These voices that tell you to prove yourself, prove your worth, prove your value, this is not God. In fact, I think maybe the best way to, to describe it is this, like, look, there is nothing you and I can do to prove to God our value. And he knows that. He's not asking you to prove yourself. In fact, if anything, he's demonstrated above and beyond the fact that you don't have to prove yourself. In fact, let me demonstrate for you how much I love you. I love that our kids are going to be memorizing a verse during this month in our kids' ministry. It's Romans 5.8. I would encourage you to do it as well. But it says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You did nothing, nothing to earn the cross. You did nothing to earn his willingness to, to make you his, his child. He loves you. He wants nothing more than for you to be in his family. And he can't demonstrate it any stronger than what he's already done. Now, this is not reason not to work hard. We work hard and we we do good things, but we do it for the glory of God. We do it because we're loved and accepted. I I like the way that Dallas Willard says it. He says, uh, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. doesn't mean we don't work hard, but we don't do these things to earn God's approval earn our standing, earn the sense that we, we belong. So this month, I want to challenge you. There are voices in your life. There are voices that are, are calling out to you to say, prove yourselves, perform. And I want to ask you something. What, whose voice, whose voice will you let shape your identity? You can listen to the things that God wants to say about you. You can look at the things that he has done for you to demonstrate his love. 
and you can root yourself in those things. You can ground yourself in these things. That was a prayer that, that uh, the Apostle Paul prayed for church. He said, I want you to know these things so that you're rooted in it, uh, like, a, like a, a, a plant, that your roots go down deep and you're solid. He says, I want you, you to have a strong foundation, like a cornerstone, like what we're going to talk about today, the, the building thing. That I want you to build, your, build this whole building on this foundation of what you know to be true. Because then God can do unimaginable things through you if you'll let him work. So in a moment, our ushers are going to do this. They're going to bring uh, to you, uh, they're going to pass you a tray. We're going to share these final moments of time of communion. And in this time of communion, what I, I want to encourage you to do is this, is that during this time, up on the screen are going to be uh, some of the things that the scriptures say about you. If you have come to faith in Christ, if you've turned to him and say, Lord, take me into your family. I want to belong to you. If you've repented, turned your life to God and said, I, and by faith say, I, I want you. I want to belong to you. I want to follow you. These are things that are true about us, things that we can hold to. And, and so as the tray comes, I want to encourage you, grab both cups and hold on to them. Read through those. And when you're ready, you're going to eat and drink. See, Jesus, on the last night of his life, he took bread and he broke it. He took a cup and he passed it. And he said, this bread represents my body. This cup represents my blood. My body is broken for you. My blood is being shed for you. And so when the church gathers, when we take these symbols into our life, when we, we, we uh, take a moment to eat and drink, we remember what he has done. And we remember how he thinks of us. We remember what we mean to him. And so in this time, draw yourself in, anchor yourself into this. Let those roots go down deep. So, uh, uh, create this as your foundation of, of your heart and soul. So when those storms come, and they will come, that you have built yourself and your identity on the things you know to be true that God has said about you. And so let's pray for this. Lord, we just pray that in this time, uh, you would, in your own unique way, just once again cement us, our heart, our mind, our soul, on the things that you say about us, things that we know to be true, and use this bread, this cup, as a powerful moment uh, as we taste, as we, uh, as we sense in this, this moment, you have demonstrated for us that these things are true, that you love us beyond condition, and that you want us for yourself, that you're calling us into your family. And so may this be a time uh, of great faith, uh, deep in our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're ready, eat and drink.
Would you stand with us as we sing this last song together?